Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at, uh, I think it's class seven of our Vipassana structured study. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I think, that this class was going to be on the Magavabhanga Sutta, an analysis of the Eightfold Path, and that wasn't true. Uh, <laughs> uh, last Saturday, I taught the Sakavabhanga Sutta, an analysis of the Four Noble Truths, when I should have been teaching um, this sutta <laughs> that I'm going to teach today. Uh, the, uh, I can't even remember how I said the Adipataya Sutta, uh, the three governing principles for awakening. Um, the, uh, this follows in line uh, with the sutta, the sutta on the uh, noble and ignoble searches, where that was general teaching from the Buddha about what to practice and what not to practice and how to uh, recognize authentic Dhamma practice. Um, so this sutta is a, another complete sutta on how to practice, what it looks like. Uh, let me, let me read it and I'll comment as we go along. The three governing principles for awakening. The Buddha teaches there are three governing principles for the cessation of ignorance. One, the self is a governing principle. So that, that, uh, uh, that immediately shows the, any dharma that proposes to sell the self as nothing or as insignificant uh, is not something the Buddha taught. The self is a governing principle. The world is a governing principle. Again, anything that teaches that emptiness or nothingness is a goal is denying the idea of the world as a governing principle, which simply means the environment that we find ourselves in. Makes sense, doesn't it? And the Dhamma itself is a governing pr principle. So these three things are so obvious, um, but like much of the Buddha's Dhamma, why is he pointing them out? Because we don't want to see it. We don't want uh, to recognize that any true spiritual practice, meaning a spiritual practice that is uh, designed to develop an understanding of self and the world it lives in, would have the self as the central theme, wouldn't it? Except what I found in most of modern Buddhism is, is the denial of self, which is rooted, and I won't get too deep into this, it's rooted in a common human problem of, uh, I'm going to put it this way tonight, of self-annihilation or self-loathing. Uh, we, we tend to take to so-called spiritual, religious, salvific uh, practices because we think that the self needs to be saved because there's something wrong, inherently wrong with the self or the self is broken. Uh, and this is a very general statement as to why people look to change something about themselves. The Buddha realized that was a common occurrence and he also realized that there's nothing wrong with a human being, that human beings are just human beings. And if we understand that all we can ever be is a human being, we'll stop trying to be something that we cannot be or that we're not, including developed fabricated dharmas that, that seek to establish ourselves in non-human realms because human beings can't do that. The Buddha figured that one out. How is the self, the Buddha asks, a governing principle for the cessation of ignorance? A skillful disciple having established seclusion and quiet, he's talking about jhana meditation, reflects on this. It is not for the sake of robes, alms, lodging, or future becoming that I am practicing the Dhamma. Again, the Buddha's initial lines are so important. 
I'm not practicing the Dhamma so people give me things like robes to wear or food or my or anything in support of that way. In other words, I'm teaching the Dhamma to get something. I teach the Dhamma because it's what I do, because it's, it, I understand it. I'm not trying to uh, get somebody to um, think of me in any different way than as a human being, and in this case, as a Dhamma teacher, a human being who happens to teach the Dhamma. Um, The Buddha continues, I am afflicted by birth, sickness, aging, and death, by sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair, and I am overcome by stress. Remember how the Buddha's description of stress as we're looking at dependent origination and the analysis of the Four Noble Truths. Perhaps the cessation of this entire mass of suffering can be known, a rhetorical question. Can I know what the cause of this suffering is? That's the rhetorical question the Buddha asks. And then he says, what if I were to seek the same sort of sensual pleasure that I abandon? I would lose the way. I will maintain persistence, my mindfulness refined and not confused, my body calm and not aroused, my mind well concentrated and united with my body. That's the determination that a wise Dhamma practitioner makes. I will maintain persistence, my mindfulness refined and not confused, my body calm and not aroused my mind well-concentrated and united with its body. That's how we practice the Dhamma. The Buddha continues, The skillful disciple, having established themselves as a governing principle, abandons what is unskillful and develops what is skillful. Another so powerful line. This self is the governing principle of our awakening. Individual self is the governing principle for awakening. In, in accordance with the environment that finds itself, the world, and the right Dhamma practice. It's those three components. So it's not the not-self or an, an annihilation of self or the denigration of self, which is what happens when I try to establish myself in a non-physical plane. I'm saying that this one sucks, so let me go there. And it's not creating a fabricated view of self. Ron, can you close the door, please? Thank you. And it's not creating a fabricated view of self because that's still a fabricated view of self. It doesn't offer anything as far as understanding. Uh, if I start creating different scenarios about the world, meaning while well, the world is inherently an ultimately positive say, everything is positive in the world, or I need to look at everything from that positive view, that's one of the most hurtful ideas that was ever dumped on our planet, that everything is positive or everything should have a positive result. The Buddha's first noble truth says, no, that's not true. Dukkha occurs. It's a consequence of having a human life. So to get stuck in the positive view or the view that I'm suffering in this physical life so in a future life I get a reward, nonsense. It's hurtful. It takes you out of your body and it denies your own life. It denies your own humanity. The Buddha continues. This is how a skillful disciple establishes himself as a governing principle in ending ignorance of four noble truths, meaning... I'm the one that does this. I'm the one that takes the Dhamma practice. I can take instructions, hopefully, from people that understand it, from a, a well-informed teacher and a teacher and a well-informed Sangha, and the authentic Dhamma. But from that point on, it's my it's my responsibility to develop it. The Buddha continues: How is the world a governing principle for the cessation of ignorance? A skillful disciple, having established seclusion and quiet, reflects on this. It is not for the sake of robes, alms, lodging, or future becoming that I am practicing the Dhamma. That line, future becoming, means any kind of speculative future existence for myself. Whether it's after I'm dead, 
or, or some kind of magical escape right here and right now. Again, the Buddha said this so many times. Don't go there. Don't establish yourself in any speculative magical way. Is that also the, the, the going after merit? Yes, it's a, thank you. It's exactly... Any, doing anything for merit, meaning hoping that some higher being or some type of universal system notices how wonderful I'm being in this moment and so will give me reward. Think about how ridiculous that is. That's a, that, I mean, that's, a, that's what most people think of spiritual practice. If I do things all the right way, I'll get a reward. That's what children do, doesn't it? It's exactly what children do. do. And that's why the best description of awakening is full human maturity. Because human beings who are fully mature don't look for favors from other people or from some grand system because they know better. Simply, simply put that way. They simply know better. They know it's foolish to think that way. Is Thank you, Rob. in response to the Sangha struggling with their old practices? Wait, say that again, David, please. Is, is this kind of a teaching for the ah. members of the Sangha that are struggling with their old practices? Yeah, thank you for saying that, David. It's such an important point. Um, the Buddha taught... Uh, everything the Buddha taught was situation, meaning he was talking to the people that were in front of him or things that he's noticed in the original Sangha that needs addressing. So in this case, as David pointed out, he's noticing the difficulty of the, uh, the people in the original Sangha who are still clinging to their old practices. And so the Buddha is giving a direct teaching. This is what the Dhamma practice looks like. And it's not anything other than this. And so if it doesn't fit, let go of it. Okay, thanks, David. The Buddha continues, I am afflicted by birth, sickness, aging, and death, meaning I am afflicted by ignorance, by sorrows, regret, pain, distress, and despair. I am overcome by stress. Perhaps the cessation of the entire mass of stress and stress can be known. That perhaps, that rhetorical perhaps, it's just, it's just the, the Buddha saying, open your mind to the possibility of awakening. What if I were to think, and then the answer to that, what if I were to think the same thing the same thoughts of sensual pleasures, of ill will, of harmfulness that I had abandoned. Beings are many in the world, meaning they're diverse. We have all different ways of living in the world. There are contemplatives, there are Brahmins, there are Divas who claim psychic powers. Claim psychic powers is an important line there. They don't have it, they claim it. They can see near and far. Even so, they don't exist. Even though people make all these great claims about anything that is non-physical, the Buddha's declaration is they simply don't exist. And to take that a little bit further, they don't exist as far as Dhamma practice is concerned. We don't care about them because they don't lead to the goal. It's not a noble view. Even so, they would see the unskillful disciple this way. Here is one who has taken to the Buddha's Dhamma, but they remain overcome by hurtful and unskillful mental qualities. It relates directly to what David was talking about just earlier. We're noticing as authentic Dhamma practitioners those that aren't. Why? Because we have that, that perspective to see it. And again, that's what the Buddha is talking about here. The skillful disciple reflects in this manner. I will maintain persistence. My mindfulness refined, mean, my, refined mindfulness means framed by the Eightfold Path and not confused. My body calm and not aroused. My mind well concentrated and unite with my body. The skillful disciple, having established the world as a governing principle, abandons what is unskillful and develops what is skillful. Anything that is outside of the framework of the Eightfold Path is unskillful. 
anything that is not part of Dhamma practice is unskillful. Um, mindful walking is unskillful. I just, I'm just saying that. Not, uh, walking meditation is unskillful. Being mindful of walking is skillful. Why do I say that? It's because many people substitute an infinite number of things such as walking as meditation or doing the dishes as meditation or visualizing a candle as med- meditation or visualizing uh, Avalokiteshvara or the Buddha in some future form as meditation. None of that is meditation. Or I should say none of that is jhana meditation. Jhana meditation is one thing. I find I caught up in my thoughts. I come back to the sensation of breathing. That's what the Buddha is referring to. The skillful disciple remains well-focused and pure. This is how a skillful disciple establishes the world as a governing principle in ending, ending ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And how, how is my Dhamma a governing principle for the cessation of ignorance? A skillful disciple, having established seclusion and quiet, reflects on this. It is not for the, sale of, the sake of robes, alms, lodging, or future becoming that I am practicing the Dhamma. I am afflicted by birth, sickness, aging, and death, by sorrow, regrets, pain, distress, and despair, I am overcome by stress, meaning overcome by my own ignorance. Perhaps the cessation of this entire mass of suffering can be known. The door is open. The Buddha continues, My Dhamma is well taught by me, referring to himself as the Buddha, is well taught by me to be developed here and now. Such an important instruction. It's right here and right now, in this present moment, that the Dhamma can be practiced. It cannot be practiced in the past, and it obviously cannot be practiced in the future. Why? Because I'm not there. I'm not in the past, and I'm not in the future. I'm right here. My Dhamma is timeless. It encourages verification, and it is entirely relevant. It's to be directly experienced by the observant disciple for themselves. Again, nothing is taken on merit. Nothing is taken on speculation. Nothing is taken as a gift. It all is to be developed by ourselves. Skillful disciples are true companions in the well-integrated life who dwell in the well-taught Dhamma. Well-disciplined, they know that laziness and mindlessness will cause them to lose their way. This skillful disciple reflects in this manner, I will maintain persistence, my mindfulness refined and not confused, my body calm and my mind and not aroused, my mind well-concentrated and united with my body. The skillful disciple, having established my Dhamma as a governing principle, abandons what is unskillful and develops what is skillful. What is skillful? It's what is taught by the Buddha, the Buddha within the framework of the Eightfold Path. The skillful disciple remains well-focused and pure. This is how a skillful disciple establishes my Dhamma as a governing principle in ending ignorance of Four Noble Truths. These are the three governing principles of my Dhamma. There is no secret place in the world for those doing evil, meaning it, it, it always comes up. And the Buddha is also referring to, excuse me, to ourselves as individuals. And so look at this as, there, there's no secret place, in, look at yourself as the world in this sentence. There is no secret place in the world for those doing evil. What that means is that as an individual Dhamma practitioner, your, your behavior that is contrary to the Dhamma will always be shown to you if you have incorporated the framework of the, of the Eightfold Path. How? By being mindful of right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Because the unskillful or the wrong aspects of speech, action, and livelihood will always be revealed to those that are practicing the refined mindfulness. You'll see it. It's, it's a, um, 
it's, it's automatic as an aspect of the Dhamma, as long as the Dhamma is being practiced as it's intended. There is no secret place in the world for those doing evil. The skillful disciple knows whether they are well-focused or confused. That's what I mean by what I just said. The skillful disciple observes themselves that harmful behavior... I'm sorry, let me go back. The skillful disciple clearly observes themselves that hurtful, uh, hurtful behavior hides. They would see it. The wise see the fool unrestrained in the world. So, govern yourself with mindfulness, refined mindfulness. Govern the world with wide, wise restraint. Establish in jhana, governed by my dhamma, in thought, word, and deed, follow my dhamma. The sage who is engaged in right effort in developing their understanding of four noble truths will not lose their way. The skillful disciple conquers mara, meaning conquers ignorance. Mara is always metaphor for ignorance. There is no further becoming. The skillful disciple understands the world. Again, it's so important. We understand the world. We're not confused by it. We don't expect it to be any different. How do we, how do we come to that position that we don't expect anything or anyone in the world to be any different than as it's occurring? The only way to do that is through understanding, isn't it? And that's what the Buddha teaches, to understand the world so we don't need it to be any different than it is. Another way for saying that would be so that we don't need to take anything personal in the world. Through understanding, we know that every single phenomena in the world is completely impersonal. How do we know that? A human being is born into the world, a hundred years later or so, they're gone. There's no record of them, unless we make one, unless we fabricate a record, put, put something in the ground and put a sign on it. That's it. That's the only way that, that human beings that can maintain longevity past death is to put themselves in the ground and put a sign over their body. There's no other way to do it. Any other way, or to claim there's another way to do it, is pure speculation, isn't it? Does anybody argue with that? Anybody online argue with that? That's because you know better than to argue with me, right? <laughs> it's okay to argue with me, by the way. I don't, I'm just kidding when I say that. But that's the point of the Dhamma. We'd like to think that there's something better for us because there's something lacking in me. And usually that manifests as some type of a heaven, a Buddhist heaven or a Christian heaven, a Muslim heaven or a Jewish heaven. That's or, for, for most people, their biggest fear is that they will leave this world and they will leave no trace. Yes, and the other, ask the other side of that is they'll leave this world without a world to go to. Yeah, not knowing I mean, the, the first thing I taught that I can really kind of remember is that I taught that because I was baptized in the Roman Catholic Church that I'm good to go. And basically I can do anything I want as long as I'm willing to go to confession on Sunday or whatever, whatever the, the time frame is. Really? And, and you know, I, I used that as far as I could. <laughs> <laughs> you ran with that one. Yeah, un until the, the excuses that, that are inherent in that system almost killed me. So again, we're not, um, that's the end of the sutta, by the way. I should have said that. Um, so those three, the three aspects or the three governing principles that the Buddha just talked about all point back to developing the Dhamma. And it is through incorporating the Dhamma in myself and using that as my right view on the world, living within the framework of the Dhamma, I will awaken. Guaranteed. Excuse me. And I'm not offering a guarantee. The Buddha says that over and over again. Do this and you will awaken. I never ever, excuse me, I've read a lot of the suttas. I haven't read every one, but I don't expect to find this. I've never come across any sutta where the Buddha said, 
you are beyond hope. If you're, if you're a person who has this, this, and this, forget it. You can't awaken. Never. And the Buddha taught every single person that came in front of him. The reason why I say that is during India, during the Buddhist time, much like today, there was still a caste system. And many people in the, in the Buddha's world during that time were not allowed to learn anything, much less the spiritual idea. If you taught people in the lower caste systems any type of anything, any knowledge, any um, observable knowledge, you would be put to death and that person would be put to death. There's still aspects of that today. It didn't stop the Buddha. The Buddha taught everyone who came to him. And he, he didn't, that never stopped him. And so the Dhamma is for every single human being who wants to awaken in this lifetime. And the Buddha said, if you do this, you will. That's enough for me. And um, uh, that's enough of a talk tonight, too. Uh, I always go online. Um, so first, I'm not. I'm going to start with uh, our, our new friend, Tom. Tom, welcome to our Sangha. It's good to see you again. Thank you. What, what would you like from me? I'm learning. Oh, whatever you'd like to say. You don't have to say anything. Understand that. If you don't want to just describe your practice and what you're learning, that's okay. But well, whatever I, you're comfortable with, Tom. If, 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 if I may, you talked about understanding, and I was going through my mind was uh, uh, the difference between uh, comprehension uh, and understanding ah. and acceptance. And is, is, it, is, wow. It, it's such a great question. I'm jumping out of my skin to answer it. I'm sorry I didn't let you finish. Um, comprehension, and again, we're kind of playing with words a little bit, but I would say comprehension is more of an intellectual understanding, which is what we have to do first. So you're, you're, you're comprehending the Dhamma right now. You'll understand it through direct experience. And so when we're talking about understanding, we're talking about experiential knowing of something, not just, not just an intellectual understanding. If I say that uh, cars are made out of metal in general, you would agree with that. That's an intellectual understanding. But if I start getting into the workings of the combustion engine, just saying that's a car doesn't do it, does it? So it's the understanding the combustion engine that is the understanding of the Dhamma. Is that clear Clear it up for you? Uh, beginning to. <laughs> but then I keep going back till I figure it out. You, well, again, the you're doing just what you need to do to figure it out because most of the figuring it out is continuing with Dhamma practice learning how to implement it, which is what these classes are for, and then actually experiencing it. So in general, what that looks like is everybody starts in the same point, more or less, with the jhana meditation. And then you learn from a very wise teacher what the Dhamma practice is about. So you learn a little bit that it's the Eightfold Path. Right view, right intention, right speech, action, livelihood, right effort, right meditation, uh, right mindfulness, and right meditation. I, don't, I doubt you could... Um, uh, recite those, even though you just heard them. And it doesn't matter if you can, because those are the things that you need to learn what they are. But you'll understand what they are very quickly. And as you start incorporating the Eightfold Path as the framework for your Dhamma practice and then for your moment-by-moment life, then you'll you'll have the experience of understanding it. <laughs> but that's how the Dhamma is. It, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, not, it's, not, it's way beyond an intellectual understanding. And it is, and the Buddha used this term often, ehepasika, which means come and see for yourself. It means you have to come and see for yourself. But you will, Tom, as you continue to do this and um, incorporate what you're learning here and what's on the website, you'll develop this rather quickly, I think. So thank you for the question. Thank you. Ram, good evening. Good evening. Um, 
Yeah, this is, I find this a bit of an odd uh, sutta. Um, there's, a, there's quite a few different ways to, to look at these three ways, the self, the world, and the Dharma. Yeah. I mean, the Dharma is clear that, that that's a governing principle. Um, the self, I, the first time I looked at this, for me it was more um, the self as a governing principle the fact that this whole thing is happening in yourself. Yep. It it starts with a, a wrong view of self, and um, and it also resolves itself here. Yep. It so yep. that's it. This is where it's all happening in the self. Yep. And then the world um, I saw as a. Actually, it, it, it was the virtuous factors, you know, where your, your dharma, dharma practice is, is reflected in, in the world, in how you, yeah, exactly. how you deal with, with the world. Yep. Um, and then the third part, the dharma, is, is of course clear that that's a government principle. Without the dharma, there is, there is no dharma practice. Yep. Um, and then that last section, actually... But the Buddha teaches that... To make the point that it is the Dhamma, and if you add something to it or take right. something away, it's not the Dhamma there, anymore. There's nothing left. It, it goes off the, off the rails. Uh, in the last section, those, those five, six, seven verses, that's pure Dhammapada. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, you, it's right, but remember the Dhammapada was, was composed later. Uh-huh, right. So the, Dhamma, that, the Dhammapada is pure uh, Adipataya Sutta. Right, right. But you know, in a lot of suttas, he will he will just finish off with with uh, with a verse. Yep. This is actually a little collection of, of verses, and I don't know quite how, how that all got put together. But it it does belong there. Yeah, this is from this is recorded in the Agnatara Nikaya, um, but uh, the 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 main. The main monks and nuns over time are, but but a small group of them are the ones that recorded the song, the, the suttas initially, mm-hmm. over the period of time. But it was still a, a relatively small group, so you're still getting a reflection of their understanding of it, mm-hmm. and also Ananda's remembrance. Remember how Ananda learned through that repeti- rep- repetitive way. So even that comes through in some of the... It's amazing, too, when you think about it, 2,600 years later. Even that comes through in some of the translations. Yep. And that's where it is. So that's where the, where the verse becomes somewhat apparent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Kevin! John, nice to see you. Um, <clears throat> nice to hear this talk again. Um, I think I like what Rob was saying and sort of how this speaks to our direct experience here. And, and it says... Right in there, this this the Dhamma uh, encourages verification, and that's what you were just speaking to. It encourages us to understand our misunderstanding, which is a lack of you know is ignorance and before noble truths, and to see how we fabricate and personalize the world, and and that's a stressful experience to do that. And we're encouraged yep. to practice with right effort practice jhana meditation 
to calm our mind so we can experience cessation as Saraputa has explained to us. So yeah, experiencing cessation and the calming of fabrications is what we're all talking about. The fruits of a Dhamma practice that in time we'll get to know because we get to know it. We get to know it because it's, we, we verified it, you know, we verified that everything that we see, everything that we're doing is all a result of what's happening here. We are personalizing this worldly experience when the Buddha is explaining that it's, it's, it's not worth to do. And we, we can agree with him in time. We'll, 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 come, we'll come to that. Yep. Point. So, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Well said. David. Oh, I, I know you considered... The way you uh, got out of sequence uh, last Saturday, a mistake. But I see that because I read this teaching and it's confusing. But I found that the teaching from Saturday, that's telling you what, it, it. what it's supposed to be. And here's the Buddha counseling his Sangha. Be careful of doing add-ons and yeah. takeaways and embellishments. And, you know, so I found it helpful. Even though we had just done this a few weeks ago, months ago, uh, that this is what it is. Yeah. So uh, your, mis- your mistake was a fortunate one. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking the same thing, that, that this really does... Actually, it, this is... Um, better taught after next class, after the Magavabhanga Sutta. So I might change the book this way. But, you know, I, I will say that, that the mistake that I made last Saturday was the very first one I ever made. I was able to remain calm off. through it because I'm used to it. <laughs> the tea on the greatest Dhamma teacher's falling off is his greatest. <laughs> Thank you, David. Uh, let's go online. i got to use my... I heard a better word for this, but I can't remember what, what that was. Where is it? Viewfinder? That's it, yeah, my viewfinder. Now, that's me, so I'm not going to clone myself. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, our friend Meg has joined us. Hello, Meg. Hello, Meg. Maybe that wasn't. Meg. Yeah, that's Meg. Sorry, I couldn't find the little microphone. <laughs> That's okay. How are you, Meg? So I've just been practicing my meditation and um, trying to be consistent with that. And I'm um, doing 20 minutes now, twice a day. Um, and if I run out of time or it's too late, then I just cut it short. So that's been really helping me a lot to understand Right. Some of these things that you were talking about today, um, like wise restraint, um, just knowing myself more, um, I, it kind of bringing myself to understand myself more and yeah. um, seeing myself in real life situations. Um, I. I start to realize, you know, when I want to do something or say something, I, I'm starting to think about what is my motivation for doing that or seeing or saying that. That's <laughs> big, man. Or, 
And, um, you know, in doing that, I'm starting to realize, you know, what's true for me, you know, and what's not. And that, you know, I can't change anybody else or I can't change the world and make it different than it is, but I can change myself. And in doing that, it can make a difference in the world. And so that's really what I'm focusing on, I guess. That's all I'm focused on. That's brilliant, Meg. You, you just, you, you kind of synopsize this, this little suit to two as, as the self is the governing principle. Yeah. Um, your 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 view has has changed dramatically uh, towards right view too. You're in court. I, I, what I'm saying, I said it to Tom earlier too. You're you're developing the dhamma as intended, and you're reaping the benefits, and that's obvious by what you're saying. So I'm glad you joined us today, Meg. Thank you, Meg. Did you hear everyone well going around the room? Oh, room uh, here. I did. Okay, good. Yeah, Thank I you. Did. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you, John. Uh, you know, it's very interesting when you uh, listen Dharma or read Dharma and uh, look like you understand everything and it make perfectly uh, makes sense. But in realistic life, I just realize I'm a great mathematician. I'm always add something or always subtract something. Yeah. But uh, good things... At least now I am able to notice this. It's kind of interesting. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. We 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 end that uh, the quest for constant acquisitions once we develop the Dhamma to its to its culmination, simply because we're not we're we're not taking anything personal and from that point then we don't need need to grasp after anything. It doesn't mean that we we won't go and you know go make ourselves some dinner to feed ourselves that people tend to go to these extremes when you, when you say something like that, well, what, won't I, how will I take care of myself? Of course you'll take care of yourself. You'll do it because you're a human being, but you won't, you won't fabricate anything about yourself or what your needs are. You know, it's just a consequence of living in the world. So thank you, Steve. Michael, how are you tonight? Good to see you. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Um, I like the sutta very much. Uh, it takes a little understanding. Uh, and uh, um, once you actually understand it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, hopefully, I'll, my commentary will be that of one who understands it and uh, not from wrong view. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure you will. The way I, the way I uh, interpret this, um, the self is a government principle when the self is skillful and understands right view mm-hmm. and understands uh, self-reference as established in uh, depend origination, mm-hmm. uh, from that from that perspective, when the self is skillful, then the self is a governing principle. How uh, the world is a governing principle is when we see the world as the world is from right view. And that is not forming any attachments to the experiences that we experience as life occurs. 
that is right view of uh, the world and the world becomes a government principle in that sense from right view. Uh, and then the Dhamma is the, uh, the actual uh, putting our practice into uh, the proper perspective, again, from right view. And uh, that is living life uh, 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 attuned to the Eightfold Path. So that's a quick synopsis of the way I see things. Also, one more thing I'd like to add. Uh, this a profound sense of anatta enables us to see things from right view also. Uh, so if we understand anatta, or if, if I understand that, I want to use the right pronouns here. Uh, if we understand anatta, then that that leaves us uh, that leaves that will leave us in right view if we practice to uh, um, at the uh, uh, recognition and and wise restraint. Uh, we will uh, once we experience anatta, then that will also bring us to right view. Yeah. So basically, that's my understanding of, or I think that's the intention of uh, what the Buddha is going for here. That's all I have to. Excellent, Michael. Yes, you, you, you nailed it. And anatta, the word anatta simply means the views that I'm holding on myself are not a self. Anatta means not a self. <coughs> Buddha's use of the word means the views I'm holding of myself are not. They don't constitute a self. They're fabricated views. Let go of the views. That's the whole domino right there. Thanks, Michael. Hello, Julia. Hello, John. Hello, everybody. Um, I, I wrote a little thing, John, naturally. Great. <laughs> um, so I, I have, I had a couple of things like the governing principle to just that term, like threw me off a little bit because it seems like, what is that? You know? And, um, I found, I found, I found a, a good, uh, a somewhat of a interesting definition of it. And it's kind of, it says that a governing principle is a fundamental rule that guides or influences something that is done. And I, I understood it then because I said, oh, I can see how, um, Anicca, Anada, and Dukkha. I mean, I mean Dukkha. The, I mean, Anicca, Anada, and the, and the world, and the Dhamma, actually influence to end ignorance. Um, yep. It makes sense. It makes sense when we when we say that everything is it funnels in through Anada. Actually, um, they relate to Anada because the quality of the mind precedes all mental states, and so I can understand that it's the mind that's defining everything all around it. It's defining all phenomena. It defines the world and it sees and, um, you know, just seeing and hearing is not something that, um, let me just read what I have because it's very difficult for me to just say it. Seeing and hearing alone couldn't do nothing <clears throat> if not for the fabrications done by the mind. The mind cannot be a flame without fuel of craving igno and ignorance of impermanence. The ego continuously clings to perpetuate itself. So the ego is constantly trying to define itself through the world. And through right view, um, the self can become the governing principle because it's through right view that, that our thoughts and our actions and everything. Um, uh, oh, wait, wait one second. I'm sorry. I lost my train of thought. Um, it's through right. It's through right. It's through right view that that we can actually use these three things as a governing principle without right view, right effort or right intention. We, you know, we could not. We would still be in ignorance. Um, 
the phenomenal world is a very per, is is very personal to us, and it's something that the mind notices. The mind notices things that it desires or that it is averted. Yeah. And each mind creates in this manner an individual world based on self. Um, the world is a governing principle only through right view, understanding, and a right intention and right effort at point of contact, <clears throat> wise restraint. So the world becomes a, a governing principle only at that point, a point of contact and wise restraint, because that's the phenomena that's coming into the self. Yeah. And um, understanding that the environment is impermanent and everything around us is impermanent, it puts us in right view, understanding the three marks of existence. Um, the, the Dharma becomes a governing principle and ending ignorance because the main purpose of the Dharma is to develop jhana, meditation and to develop a calm and peaceful mind for gaining insight and understanding of the relationship between anicca anatta and dukkha yep. so that's what i have i'm sorry i, I, no, I started that, getting scattered because i'm not trying to say it myself and i'm like i'm better off just focusing on my my notes yeah so, your notes were excellent thank you, Julia. thank you so much the um you know you could you could synopsize this by saying that the self the world and and the dhamma um is I can probably make it more complicated than I need to. The world, the self, the world, and the and the Dhamma are simply the the overarching framework. And and what that means is, uh, it's also it, it has to do with what David was talking about earlier, but it also has to do with keeping the Dhamma authentic. Going back to the noble and ignoble searches, going back to all our classes up until now, that we shouldn't look to escape the self, escape the world, or escape the Dhamma in order to incorporate the Dhamma. Yet, that's what most religious slash spiritual disciplines are designed to do, to escape the self or, or heal the broken self, to escape the world and, and a fabricated Dharma that can't do any, either one of those things, even though we might believe it. This happens within a human being, the world that we live in, and in the framework of the Dhamma. That's the whole, kind of the whole point. So thank you, Julia. Hello, Jane. Thank you, Dr. Hi, John. Thank you for the teaching. I appreciate what everybody said. Um, I was just thinking about the fact that um, once you develop a Dharma practice, and if you find yourself acting outside of the practice, there's no, I mean, there's no not seeing. I mean, yeah. it's it's quite evident that, that, that you're not within the practice. You can't make up excuses. There was something you said about hiding I mean, you can't really hide once you understand what's, you know, the, the requirements of the Eightfold Path. You can't hide. You can't make up excuses. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just there, you know. It's not, it's unskillful. So. Yeah. yeah. It is self. Well said, Jane. You can't, I mean, if, if you, if you, if you actually practice the Dhamma, you can't deny the Dhamma, or you're not practicing the Dhamma. You know, it's just it's just that way. Again, the brilliance of the Buddha that he developed a way that if people would just have a secret, just do it, they would awaken. And that's remarkable. I've yet to meet anyone who didn't take to the Dhamma wholeheartedly and develop it rather quickly, including you, Jane. I mean, it was really within weeks of coming across the Dhamma that you were talking about the big changes you've made already in your life. So it's just that way. So. Uh, thank you, Jane. Um, pardon thank me? You. I didn't hear you, Jane. The Dhamma just 
this makes so much sense. I yeah, mean, it does, doesn't it? Uh, all right. Um, thank you, Jane. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Dev, I'm glad you joined us tonight. I know he doesn't feel like uh, do like being bothered tonight, uh, but I'm glad you joined us. What am I looking for? Meta. Meta. <laughs> uh, there was another announcement. I can't think. Retreat. Yeah, our retreat is coming up. Uh, it starts April 22nd, runs to the 25th. If you're going to join us, all the sign-up information is online, and please do it uh, as soon as you can if you're joining us. This is uh, Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta, and it's how we end our classes. And so again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. Engage in jhana and the Buddha's words on Metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.